welcome back, and here we go for another episode of FileMaker Talk. It's Matt Petrowski and Matt Navarre. <laughs> Did it, it, did 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 it. Hello. Hey. So what's up? Stuff, work, clients, loving it. Well, that's awesome. I, uh, I am thinking about doing some client work myself. That's a good idea. We got a client, I think we talked about it last time, a client with a, an iPad Pro project. Right, and I and I just got the uh, Apple Pencil to play with that, which oh, doesn't really that? have much um, tie-over to FileMaker specifically. Right, uh, but the pencil's very very nice; works very smoothly. So, where are you going to use that? Like, when? So how long have you had it? Well, I've only had it yesterday. The pencil. Oh, okay. So, so you haven't but had I've it used it in enough. a whole bunch of different apps. But you haven't had it long enough to find out or determine where it's going to fit into a daily routine. Like when you get something brand new, you use it, you try it out, you do a bunch of stuff, but you don't know if it's going right. to actually... Like on my iPhone, I think I have something like, I don't know, 150 apps. Yeah. There's probably only four that I use as part of my regular routine. Really? There's probably 20 I use as part of mine. I don't use my phone a whole lot. I'm always in front of a computer. Yeah. Let's see. I, I use um, I, I, the Philips Hue thing. For turning on and off lights in your house is awesome. I had I had Hue and, I, and one of the other ones that competed, and Hue is awesome. It is so instantaneous to turn on ten lights all over your house and and have different themes. So I have like one theme for cooking, which turns on the bright lights in the kitchen, and I have another one for watching TV, which turns on dim lights everywhere and like red lights behind the television. Um, a theme for waking up, so that when I wake up, it turns on lights in the bedroom and nowhere else in the house. Dude, at a really that, low level. I'm just sitting here. I'm 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 watching you. We're on Skype here, and so I'm watching you, and I'm like, you're explaining all this stuff, and what's going through my head is, okay, yeah, you bought Philips Hue. I bought three kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can't afford Philips Hue. Well, the light bulbs are twenty it. bucks each. I mean, they're not cheap, you know. Oh, but I know, I know. But they last stuff. forever. It's you buy that one light bulb for that one lamp, and it's the last one you're ever going to need for ten years or whatever. So I was totally into that. I have a. I had a. When it was popular, a full, not full, but a partial X10 setup. And oh, so I remember those. I have a little app on my phone, which is uh, Indigo, which was uh, an X10 controller, but also I think they call it PowerLink or SmartLink or something else now. Yeah, what else do we use? I use a Buy Me a Pie for my shopping list, Trivia Crack every day, play that, Bose <laughs> Sound Touch from the sound control music in the house. I don't oh, know. My, I'm just Google Maps for when I'm going somewhere. Audible when I need to listen to something while I'm going somewhere. And oh, yeah, the Audible every app. day. Email and messages. I think that's probably the four apps that I use the most. And phone. Safari. Yeah, Safari. Clock. Oh, news. I do, use, I do use an app called Feedly, and I almost read my news on a daily basis. Mm, yeah. I get, I get news on... Facebook, which is a really, really bad place to get it, because <laughs> it's very polarizing. You Facebook. Get, there's nothing balanced can, on Facebook. <laughs> be envious and jealous of all the things that everybody else is doing while you're reading Facebook. Oh, there you go. I like that. <laughs> I've, I read an article once that said, the narcissism has to stop, that basically, uh, 
I won't get into the article, but it was basically, you know, it's Facebook is a place where you go and everybody posts their vacation photos. And when you're not vacationing, you're looking at everybody else vacationing, thinking, why am I not vacationing? I found that happening to myself. I'm like, oh, okay. So I stopped using Facebook as much. But the opposite side of that argument is my wife uses Facebook. And I kid you not, I mean, that's that's got to be half of how she communicates and coordinates with people and maintains her social interaction. So mm. it just all depends on how you use it. Oh, and deals. She finds all kinds of deals through like spe- yeah, there's like these specialized face like classifieds moved over to Facebook, and now they've got these whole little groups where people. That's how they sell their furniture and sell kids' hmm. toys and all. It's crazy. Hmm. I haven't seen that much of that. I but see a lot of political stuff that I really don't want to see. Oh, now that's true. A bunch of opinions always mm-hmm. get opinions. So yeah, but they're all, like I said, polarizing. So let's opinion about FileMaker. That's what so let's opine want about FileMaker. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> and about the awesomeness of Perform Script on Server, which I think you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I was um, lately. I w- I've been dealing with a particular technology that I'm assuming not too many people deal with. Which I'll drop that after we introduce the topic. But the topic mm-hmm. was performance. Was basically making your FileMaker solution perform better. And I think Mm -hmm. this comes as a result of being involved with FileMaker for a long time. Because when you initially set up a FileMaker solution, it's very easy to make a FileMaker solution perform not well. Uh, Sure. Very poorly. Sure, especially if you work in the hosted environment on a server on the cloud, which is the only way I ever work. I mean, you can just throw in, you're always creating a calculated field here, calculated, oh, I need a summary, I'll add a summary field here, oh yeah, let's wire up all these things that are just used once, like a menu, and let's make the menu system for navigation part of my schema, so that every time Mm. somebody opens this portal that is a list of menu options, let's just go ahead and tax the database, and so learning how to... Deal with those things and, and, and take structure them. as navigation and yeah. yeah. See, I mean, you say I don't actually really use uncalculated fields anymore, unstored or otherwise, or at least they're pretty small. I mean, the, no, the, I just the don't count. use them. I don't make them. So what are you? What are you doing in order to get your calculated data? I uh, there's this really awesome trick that I heard recently, where you can have. A, use the invisibility feature, and you can put a calculation in a let function, and then just a, a, a local variable on the layout as your calculation. It's so cute. have you have you started playing with that? You know what? I I you you and I talked about it on the podcast, and one of the guys who does contracting work for me heard it heard it and put it into a solution that we're using for a client. I'm like, that was fast. <laughs> it's perfect. It works p- perfectly. It even works perfectly on WebDirect. There are gotchas. There are occasions where it just won't render. And I haven't been able to figure it out. Somebody else also emailed me about this. Um, the best I've been able to find out is that it really only happens, at least to me, when I'm developing. Because if you have a lot of stuff going on in your data viewer and you mm-hmm. leave a lot of watch variables, that can really, oh, you yeah. can accidentally screw with your own solution in terms yep. of what gets displayed. Yeah, <laughs> you can. And if you have multiple windows, oh my gosh, just don't leave a ton of uh, execute SQLs in the data viewer. I've done that where yeah. I have like five of them and I... You change context, and it still tries to evaluate. Ay, ay, ay. I've totally had that catch me. So I keep my watch list pretty light of the... You know, but I'm usually on the current, not the watch, so... Yeah. Um, so, so I use watch, actually, to, to code. Like, if I'm going to write a big function, it's actually kind of nicer to write it there than it is to anywhere else in FileMaker. Oh, yeah, totally. I, that, I do that, and then the other alternative is to have a dedicated uh, database, which you, you can just evaluate the calc. So you actually 
create your calc in a FileMaker field and then use the evaluate function to eval- evaluate the results into a field. Yeah. By the way, I have to say that that trick, that tip that you had from last time, that's the best use of evaluate I've seen in quite a long time. I don't really use evaluate all that much. Oh, I use it a lot. Yeah, that's good. Myself a lot. Yeah, hmm. well, I mean, the fact that you can compose and create a dynamic FileMaker calculation and then evaluate that. For example, if you're doing a lot of data manipulation, creating a dynamic substitute function is really, really useful because you can create as many different substitution patterns as is necessary to accommodate that inbound data. Right. So, you know, you've got, say you've got some data that's coming in and it's any of the standard formats, comma-separated, tab, you name it. You can now say, okay, well, I want to swap out all of these values and that's just, I love that. Yeah. I just, I find evaluate and execute SQL to be a little too brittle. Execute SQL can, unless you protect yourself. Yeah, and there's definitely ways to do that. I mean, the if you if you're comfortable with using get field a name function, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then you can abstract everything so that any fee, anytime you change any field name, even if used within the so, context of execute SQL, you're always safe. Yep. I'll shoot you my uh, function. I have a little snippet that I use that's execute SQL that it's uh, like 100% protected. You, yeah. You, you can't break Please. it. Do that because there's a couple places we've been using it, and it would be it would be nice to double check that. Uh, that's definitely good. So um, I don't know. I, I guess I fundamentally, though, I'm not sure I entirely agree with you that it's easy to make things perform badly when you start a solution. I think it's. I would make the the, the claim that really, when you start a, a new solution, it's just as easy to make things perform extremely well. And you and especially if you actually start it on a cloud hosted environment you're going to feel the pain of bad development right away. Now, that, that's true, but you have to come up, you have to get to a level where you're able to say, okay, is what I'm doing, you know, what's the alternatives to what I'm doing right now as soon mm-hmm. as you put in that one feature that's slow? So say you add that sub-summary field to your layout, and all of a sudden, or what's even worse, okay, sub-summary is granted, those are aggregate, and they will do aggregate across all of mm-hmm. the data that you have. But an even worse problem is, okay, I'm just going to add in this simple little innocuous conditional formatting. But it turns out that the conditional formatting itself is like referencing two tables away on oh, yeah. an unstored field, unstored calculated field, and your solution dies, and then a developer doesn't know how to necessarily solve this. They don't know that that... Conditional formatting is causing the problem. Right, because it's nearly invisible. Right. So you have to learn these tricks of, okay, if I'm going to do conditional formatting, is this something that the conditional formatting itself truly needs to evaluate on a record-by-record basis, and what is it based on? And many times you can pull that into memory, for example, into a global variable, and then make your conditional formatting evaluate based off of a, a global variable instead of whatever the value is. It always depends on what you're trying to extract or what the calc is evaluating. But many times you can do things and shift things client side by putting them in the, into memory and then dealing with them there. Mm -hmm. That's why virtual list is a wonderful example of doing something that offloads a lot of burden from the, from FileMaker having to transfer a lot of data. Because once you've transferred that into a global variable and then use the virtual list technique, you're simply just rendering data in a portal now. You're not constantly pulling FileMaker for, has this field changed in right. this record? How about this record? How about this record? So, right. 
Yeah, you just you just so you you lose that automatic update, but you gain the fact that it's actually just there. We use the same technique in the recent records, um, in FM recent records, which you can download for free from MSNmedia.com. Yeah, I saw that uh, blog post. Yeah, it's got a lot of traction. Actually, we did a webinar. I think you can download a webinar uh, as well with the intro of the technique, um, which is also linked from the blog. So. Um, yeah, I, I definitely really like that. So the, the the rest of the world doesn't really have that automatic always updating thing. When you look at a web page, unless it's you know a really modern web page, it's not going to be automatically updating with data. If you're looking at an Amazon page and you know that the price of that product changes and you sit and stare at it for a day, it's not going to change. You have to reload it. Exactly, um, and that that's is, fine. I mean, People are used to that. That's I w- two years ago. I was sitting down with one of the FileMaker engineers, um, and we were in. I forget where the conference was, but I was telling him, I said, you know what? One of the things that people deal with on a daily basis is, because I had read all the statistics about how long people are willing to wait, you know, and it goes down into the mm-hmm. you know, sub-seconds, and then we're getting so spoiled. Things need to be fast. And I said, you know, the one well, I don't know if it's a spoiled thing. I think it's just a psychology and a human nature thing. Oh, yeah. Being impatient? Well, I think it's just sort of your, your brain can actually notice like two-tenths of a second. Well, I mean, any time it's not as fast as an eye blink, it's like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Well, actually, this is a good tie into the Apple Pencil, right? Because I was using, like, some apps that you use, when you put the pencil down and you start moving it, it's perfect. It's like, it, 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 the point that you actually touch it to the screen is exactly where the line gets starting to be drawn, and it, it's just perfect. In other apps, there's a little tiny delay of a, probably more like, I don't know, 50 milliseconds or something. Yeah, fractions of seconds. But when you're moving your line, that, that fraction means it's a quarter inch of no line uh, where you, you know, you, it actually isn't where you put the, the pencil to the page. And it's really, really disconcerting. Yeah, it's non real world. You want it right. to. And, you know. and your app, like when you're building something and you have a button that, or some function that you run that if you click a button and it doesn't work, think about like the first versions of FileMaker Go. You would tap on a button and it would like not highlight. And you would think, what, did I not tap on it? So you tap it again. And then <laughs> while your finger was moving, the tap would register. It's still that way a little bit, but they fixed most of that. Yeah. So it's much more, it's much more uh, responsive now than it used to be. Um, and I think part of that was just because of the speed of devices. You know, the original iPad and the original iPhone were... Oh, yeah. Processors had to... Pick up plus the software had to be optimized. Yep. Version ones they never, never as fast as they are going to be. So I think a, a really big part of this when you're talking about performance is how do you define slow? You know, I think the first definition of slow is perception. Mm-hmm. So the the engineer that I was talking to, I said, listen, you know what? The reason that the web is so popular is because when people click on things and do things, if the data has been, of course, we're speaking now in a world where. You've got a lot of stuff that's moved client side, and the request for any type of amount of data is very small in relation to the whole of what's being displayed. Mm-hmm. So, if you compare and contrast a FileMaker layout to a web page, a web page, there's not a whole lot that needs to be updated on that web page except for what a developer is going to say they want to replace with JavaScript. In a FileMaker layout, FileMaker is going and walking across all objects on the layout and evaluating if all of them in one way, shape, or form, need to be updated. So it's constantly polling. And I told him, I said, you know what? Put that control in the developer's hands. Just give me a, 
a checkbox on the layout setup and, and allow me to determine whether I want to cache this data or whether I want you to go through all 25 records showing in the list mm-hmm. view. Mm-hmm. With that one little thing right there, uh, list view scrolling, it would be as fast as any other app. You just have yep. to know as the developer that as the user scrolls, if the server side of the database did ha, got updates from some other client, you are not showing fresh data. But in, in many cases, I really don't care. The developer just wants to go fast enough. But FileMaker, yep. because of how it was developed... Totally. I would actually say that in almost every case, it would be fine. Yeah, to let the developer control that? Well, actually, in almost every case, it would be fine to not show you updates records created or deleted or changed um, when you're looking at a list of records because you, the, the, the list is very momentary. And furthermore, if it's like a preview report, it's going to be that way anyway, probably. Um, I mean, there, and there's so many ways that they could solve this because as soon as you cache what you pulled down from FileMaker Server, if you could scroll as fast as you can flick, you're now perceptively the same as a native iOS app. You're fast, you're zippy, you're like, okay, you're a fast application. You know, I can't explain why, but the iPad, especially the iPad Pro, when you're scrolling through a list of records, it feels faster than my Mac. It's smoother and faster to load the next set of records, even on a hosted solution, than the Mac. Well, you've also got an A9 processor in there now, and you've got more memory. Yeah, but it's nowhere near as fast as my iMac 5K with 24 gigs of RAM, you know, I mean... True. That perception I can't help you with. <laughs> hey, you have an iMac 5K too now. So. That's true. I am so spoiled <laughs> with doing local development and I just, it's so painful. The other day I was, uh, I used your server for uh, hosting some of my files and I was doing a replace, just a simple mm-hmm. replace. Oh, yeah. That's, oh. I'm like, okay, well, no, this is, I cannot handle this, the client through a server solution. So then I wrote, I, I basically set the script so that it would replace server side. Mm-hmm. I clicked that and it did it fast enough, but it still wasn't fast enough. So I took the time and I said, nope, lo- log into the admin, download the database, bring it to my local machine, do the replace, and then just upload it. You're lying. I, no. This perform script on server replace is blisteringly fast. It was. Well, in this case, I was actually doing multiple different replaces. Oh, so okay. I, needed to do, yeah, I needed to do you know, complex calcs across multiple right, fields. Right. And so I'm like, oh, it's better off to just bring it down. But Well, the other way to do it is to run FileMaker Pro on the server itself. You could do that too. Yeah. So perform script on server. Mm-hmm. There's one. Uh, Vince Minano actually has re- recently released a, uh, a nice little collection of files. I downloaded it today, and I'll probably put it into one of my files that he created a logging system that will log your perform scripts on server, which is actually really good if you're running a server and a lot of people are starting to take advantage of that because you want Mm -hmm. to know when you're going to hit threshold of too many scripts being run. But you also want to know which ones are taking a little long because if you're dealing with multiple multiple developers where you don't know everything that's going on, anybody can write a perform script on server that will run amok and just consume... Yep. Tons of CPU. Yeah, we had that problem yesterday. We had a, a perform script on server four replace, and the field that it was replacing had some sort of a stupid field level validation that was preventing it from working. Yep. And so it was just hung. There you go. Yep. A unique can kill you. A unique on an import. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. I don't think that checkbox should exist. I've never found use for it. Unique. Yeah. I use unique. I mean, that's a that's a 
very common database constraint if you don't want to allow. In fact, that's what I love about MySQL. You can, you know, well, not just MySQL, but SQL systems, you can create a constraint across two fields. So, for example, you can't enter in a record where there would be or exist two Matt Navars, and it's pretty fast, but yeah. FileMaker... Well, FileMaker is really fast, too, until your record count gets high. Yeah. Um, and then it's deathly slow. Yeah, so it's almost better to, to import into a temporary field and then just run a loop across that, just checking whether or not it exists. Yeah, I'm also probably wrong, but I really think that that, that, that shouldn't be controlled at the data level. It should be controlled at the interface level. And so if you have a field, like a name field, that you don't want to have two people with the same name, and it's really, really important, um, then have a script create a name, and you type the name, and it checks to see if the name's already there and stops you at that point. But putting it where you actually create a record and then type the name in, it says, sorry, there's already a Manavar here, that's horrible UI for the user, because now they're seeing an error from FileMaker, and if you don't allow them to override it, they might have to actually revert thus deleting or changing back the whole entire record, it's, it, it's definitely a pet peeve of mine. I see. I agree with you in the sense that it should be, uh, the preemptive catch should be in the UI, but also from the standpoint, I think it follows ACID, but I don't know, you know, I haven't read ACID for a while, the atomic, mm-hmm. whatever it is, atomicity mm-hmm. or all those Atom- different things. Atomicity, right. Yeah, that at the data layer, I would, if you wanted a particular field to never have a duplicate, that's that to me is a data layer type of constraint. You yeah, want to, I, yeah. You want to say, okay, I'm going to constrain you to saying that this particular field can never have more than one of this particular instance. Well, the only thing you should ever have that has that constraint is the primary key of a table. And if you've got the if you've got a situation where a primary key can have a duplicate then you might want to consider uh, becoming a barista or changing careers because you shouldn't be a database developer. <laughs> oh, well, all these things. I mean, they're all... They're all it's I mean, the- come on. You know, the definition of a relational database is one and only one primary key in a table that has to be unique. Why? You know, if you well, have two Matt Navars and the primary keys are different for those two records, who cares? It's fine. It's good. In my particular case, here's where I hit this particular use case. I deal with um, the subscribers to the magazine. I use a service called Authorize.net. Authorize.net creates a unique subscription ID for each and every subscription. So I am pulling those into my database because I can't really hit their database and do a whole lot with it. I want right. to be able to uh, you know, modify and append to that data. So I'm bringing in their data. Their data comes in in multiple different ways, depending on the reliability of a script. So I have an automated script that when a subscription is placed, it's supposed to communicate with my FileMaker database via mm-hmm. REST. On occasion, the database is either down or they're, they're pretty reliable. But let's say something happens in the communication layer and it doesn't get to my database. Well, now I have to do an import after the fact because some ID didn't get into my database. Mm-hmm. But at my database, I want to make sure that I only have one of these ever. So fortunately for me, I can use REST. And with REST, you can make a request to authorize.net and say, I want the, la- the latest 25. And I can do that every five minutes. So I'm not working with you know 25,000 IDs coming in at once trying to do this massive import, checking mm-hmm. for the unique constraint. But if I do, 
it's you know it's forever if yeah. FileMaker's going to do it. So you definitely have to do it in small chunks. But it's that balance. It's mm-hmm. always a balance of you know how do you want to maintain the integrity of your data against how performant and how usable do you want the solution to be? Oh, I love you. Use the word performant. I That's love that word. I do too. It's I, I found it online. <laughs> Somewhere. Somebody else used it, so it's been validated. <laughs> I hope it's a real word because it's a good one. <laughs> what other stuff do you want to talk about related to performance? Because I definitely want to get to REST as well. Aha. So let's go in. Let's jump into REST. Uh, this is a big one for me. Um, have you done separation model solutions where you oh, do yeah. just a client side and then it's going to connect to a FileMaker database? Well, I mean, I. Many of the solutions I do, I mean, I've spoke at DevCon about separation model, and I guess there's different types of separation models, but any solution larger than a certain size, I do separation model. And so I have a whole bunch of them now. So uh, for those who are listening that maybe they aren't familiar with separation model, let's define it. Here's my interpretation of separation model. Mm -hmm. If you want to uh, increase your performance, you're basically going to move the UI end of your solution into a file that is now local to a client-side device. That client file through uh, an external data source is going to connect to a FileMaker file that is hosted on FileMaker server. And that's, well, that's like separation model level two right there. Yeah. So you, what's... Would well, level, level one, one be, would be having an interface file and a data file. Both on server? Yeah. Well, actually, just two separate files, sure, both on server. And the benefit of that is you can have separate, you can have interchangeable interface and data files. You can have uh, a data file, like in, when the stuff that I do for public health, I have a, uh, two sets. I have a development environment with fake data and a live environment with real data. And every two weeks, we do an interface update where we just take the development version and rename it and post it and poof, now it's live after everything's tested and you know good. Okay, and that's a huge benefit of separation model right there, is you don't actually have to have all your data in, inside your database because it's a you know several gigabyte data file. Right. Now the other the other thing, and that actually doing it that way has no effect on performance plus or minus. So it, developing uh, just a tiny amount it does. Anything really? that come has to come across FileMaker server has to be loaded onto the client and then cached, and that cache has a limit in terms of the capacity that it can store. So that so that actually would be slightly slower than maybe by that. Well, because you have more files, more data. Think about a fifty a fifty layout solution, and mm-hmm. that client file is on server. When you open it with FileMaker Go, you do have the benefit that you only have to load it onto the server once, and everybody gets that. But well, yeah, of, now your level two thing of having the the interface file local that's a huge difference for speed, especially on Go. Only if what you're dealing with does not exo- uh, the, um, would exhaust the cache. So my example, if, let's, if we work with this 50 layout solution again, mm-hmm. and this is unrealistic, but let's say a user would hop across 25 different layouts, so half of the 50. Mm-hmm. Well, if FileMaker's cache can only store, let's say, enough information and enough data to represent 10 of those layouts... Once they go past 10, they now have to get the re- request from server, and it has to download that layout data again. Now, we're typically dealing with a pretty small amount of information in relation to whatever you're showing data-wise. Mm-hmm. But you get a lot of advantages that the client can take advantage of and do things on client side that if you are if you are doing a lot of hopping around, maybe it makes more sense to move it 
the file to the client side. But now you mm-hmm. have to deal with distribution. So if you have a new updated file that you want to get onto the client, it's not a matter of logging into FileMaker server and, oh, look, the user interface has now been updated. It's a matter of, hey, there's a new file. I need to download it to this local device and then replace the old file. So there's a little bit of a hassle there, and you really have to know, you know, are they jumping around that much, and what's the benefit to me for all this extra work? Right. And actually, I think for... For mobile solutions, if you really want them to be fast, you would actually have all the data local anyway and then some sort of a sync. And what I really wish for is an invisible background sync that works the way you know, the, the address book syncs on the phone and a lot of other things sync. Now, on that you one, know. I disagree but just because sync is a pitta, a pain in the butt. Well, it is now, but in a lot of other apps, it's not. You know, Like a lot of these other apps that I mentioned that I use all the time, uh, there's a little bit of web component to it. Well, uh, Trivia Crack is a good example. The whole app is local, but all the questions you get are all totally al- online. If you lose internet, if you try to answer a question in an elevator, it can't load the next question. It doesn't have any data. Well, I must um, admit, for me, one of the most successful syncing apps is OmniFocus. I flip between OmniFocus on my Mac, my iPhone, and my iPad, and I can do all of them like just... yeah. But it's we're that's not you're not dealing with a multi-tenancy there. No. You're dealing with one user who's only put inputting or interacting with data in one place. Well, another example might be like um, one password because it's more of a database kind of a thing. You could actually have your phone and it syncs with Dropbox and that works beautifully on the on all my iDevices and my computers. Yeah, um, but the the multi-tenancy aspect of multiple users. Right. Yeah. The invisible doing background data sync. in multiple different places. I think that's compounding the issue pretty significantly. Yeah. So, so REST is awesome. Yeah, talk REST. about REST. Okay, so one of my, uh, my personal use of REST came in the form of my uh, order script. So when a person places an order for the magazine or for any of the other products that I sell, they're doing that on, it used to be Yahoo, but now it's owned by another company. But mm-hmm. regardless, they're, order script will send out via XML the whole order. So I'm having them, and you can target anywhere on the web, I'm having that target my server, which is received by a PHP script. So that PHP script, I now want to get this into FileMaker. You have to decide how you want to interact with FileMaker. And fortunately, um, because I had not actually purchased it and didn't need it, I had written some of my own PHP uh, code in order to communicate with FileMaker via its own XML API. Mm-hmm. But uh, Goya released their REST FM for free. This thing, if you need to communicate with a FileMaker server and you do not want the overhead of interacting or loading up standard FileMaker mm-hmm. via what we just explained, talking about a local file, and then it communicates with a FileMaker backend... If mm-hmm. all you're ever doing are simple things like maybe pushing data in, new records, or retrieving records to see if they're there, you will never beat the speed of REST. Because now, with FileMaker, you're actually using it the same way that the web works with JavaScript. JavaScript makes an AJAX call saying, hey, I need this piece of data. Do you have it? And then it sends it back, and that's it. It's just a small piece of data. And that's mm-hmm. why Node.js has become so popular, is because... The whole notion of the what the application is now is the application is the API. 
And the API is just give me the smallest pieces of information of what I need in order to show the user. Right. Don't walk across the whole layout and update all of the different fields and, and look at everything in total. I'm the developer. I know that I only want to update this uh, subtotal invoice amount. Let me go get it and just update that one thing. Right. Now, that's one cool thing that FileMaker has done. The new engineers that they pulled in for revamping FileMaker Go from 13 to 14, mm -hmm. a lot of the optimizations they did and the reason that uh, the refresh object exists is because they're re they recognize that. They're like, hey, we've got to just update just these small points. When a developer writes a script and they do some type of modification that updates a portal, we just need a refresh portal or we just need a refresh object for that field. We don't need to refresh the whole window and the whole layout. And so that's good. But if you're yep. doing data stuff, I highly recommend looking into REST FM. In fact, I'm going to create a video series about all of the different REST aspects. So let's talk about some of the mechanics of this because I'm a little more newer to this. And even though it's very interesting to me and I've done some stuff with, uh, with uh, web services in the past, um, like with the plugin that Vince had, the web services plugin, which was great. I, I used that a few years ago. Um, how there's like a client side and a server side or a host and a server or whatever. How, how do these um, integrate like in this, in the ways that you've used it so far? Um, okay. So rest is basically rest is your acronym that sits on top of how the web already works. So, you know, when the HTTP protocol was released, you're typing a protocol into your web browser and then you're saying, go somewhere and get something and tell me whether or not you got it. So this is, this is everything that users don't see when they type a URL into the mm -hmm. browser. So when you make a request to a server via HTTP, mm -hmm. it's called a get request. And you're saying, I want you to go get this information from the server. Well, the right. server has a response. And that, res that HTTP response... Uh, in the HTTP protocol, mm -hmm. they have all these classifications, and you're probably you're familiar with a 200 response, right? Mm, 200 or, or a 404. 404, sure. Okay, so 404 is not found. Right. A 200 is okay. So that's the and they have a whole class of 200 codes, 300, 400, right. and 500, and they all like uh, 500s are all server errors. Uh, I think 400s are data errors. I don't know. You can go mm -hmm. look at the RFC. Well, that's what REST is uh, writing on top of. That's all that it's doing. So when you use a technology like RESTFM, RESTFM is basically a PHP, which is taking advantage of FileMaker Server's PHP. Mm -hmm. It sits there, and it uses the PHP API. When you make a request, it's making a request via a URL, and the most simplest would be a GET and you would say, I want you to get out of this database on this layout from this field, does this piece of information exist? For example, right. uh, an ID or a last name, Navar. And then it comes back with a response. And that response mm -hmm. is either 200. Okay, I found right. it. Here's the data. So this or, allows then some other function, like some website that you're building that needs to get some little bit of data from FileMaker and confirm that an account actually exists in your FileMaker database, a way to query your database without using PHP, but using this much simpler structure, 
to well, submit a request to say, is Matt Navarro in the database, yes or no? And then you get a response. And if the response is yes, it can actually have my address and stuff like that. Yes. So the, the, there is, uh, the server side uses PHP, but the client mm-hmm. side doesn't have to. Uh, it depends on what you want to get. FileMaker's okay. insert from URL is limited. Um, right. Okay, so that would be the other side of it where a FileMaker database communicates to some other system out there using REST, um, which is REST, SOAP, web services, kind of the same thing. Maybe you can talk about how those are different. But um, SOAP is just, SOAP is a wrapper that is XML-based. It's not, SOAP and REST are two different things. Um, they use the same type of, well, I mean, they're all using HTTP as a technology, the, mm-hmm. the communication protocol. Um, which is on top of TCP. Um, the SOAP is more verbose because it's XML-based. REST, it's very trim, and the reason that it's very uh, popular is because it uses predominantly... Now, you've got all these encoding formats. You can use REST, and you can get an XML response, but mm-hmm. you can also get a JSON response. Right. Um, JSON is very light in yes. terms of the amount of data that is used to describe what things are. And way easier to parse. Uh, it, it is natively in other languages. In FileMaker, you either have to use a plugin or you have to use Dan Smith has a set of FileMaker custom functions mm. that will do it. And those are pretty much the two best ways to do it. If you want fully native, you're going to use uh, Dan Smith's custom functions and do it within FileMaker. If you want a little bit easier, you use base elements or uh, monkey bread plugin, anything mm-hmm. that as JSON parsers. Or you write your own, which Dan did. So that's basically all it is. It's just a request, just like it is in a web browser, but you're using the, the response codes of HTTP to determine what you're actually going to do. Now, there's other methods that you can use. When you go to a web page and you're going to type in a form and you're putting all of the information in the fields, that's called a post. Mm-hmm. So REST also uh, it supports uh, GET, Put, post, um, patch. I forget what they all are. I'd have to use okay. my reference. But there's basically a command for each of the different types of things that are analogous to I want to set some data or I want to get some data or I want to delete some data or modify mm-hmm. some data. Right. And so post is basically your modification. That's your edit. Mm-hmm. Get is I want to retrieve or your query, your search. Um, they've got put, delete. Must be create maybe. Uh, yeah, I, the implementation is supposed to be standardized, but different people can, uh, do different things based on the different type of rest, mm-hmm. uh, HTTP protocols. But for the most part, most of what you're doing are gets and put or gets and posts. So, uh, does the insert from URL function that I guess that was FileMaker 13 that that came does that actually do a lot of this rest stuff or is there some other technology you need to add to FileMaker if you want to consume this, this is where FileMaker is lacking, and Todd Geist, I've had conversations with him, he's, mm-hmm. he said, fi- he was basically limit, lamenting this, I think, two or three years ago. He's saying, mm-hmm. you know, FileMaker needs to come up to, the sp- comes, uh, come up to speed. Fi- yeah, the the yeah. web is about interoperability, yeah. you know, you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was right. He was totally right. If FileMaker wants to play in the, the world that is out there, it needs to use the standards that everybody's using so FileMaker, what was it, 13 or 14? They only just recently allowed you to do a post. 
But the problem is within REST, you're dealing with a lot of different formats. So FileMaker's lacking any type of parser for JSON, and mm-hmm. its XML parser uses, I think, older Xerxes and Zalin. Uh, they, don't, they haven't updated it in a long time. And you can't do it in memory. Um, you can with the base elements plugin, but the biggest thing that FileMaker is lacking is the ability to set headers. So in any type of HTTP request, when you're using insert from URL, and mm-hmm. even if it supports HTTP post, you cannot set a header, which is basically the same thing as walking up to a fast food counter or I don't know, anywhere where you're going to get some food and say, do you have... Um, I don't know, carne asada. You're at a Chipotle, and car- mm-hmm. and Chipotle says, "Yes, I do have carne asada. Here it is." You can't do that in FileMaker. You, can, you, can, in- you should also ask about salmonella and E. coli while you're at Chipotle, because you know <laughs> they might have one of those. So these things are called MIME types. They're basically you're defining what you want to request, and you have to be able to put that into the header. So in an HTTP post request, Mm -hmm. you would be saying, hey, server, I'm going to hand you something. And typically the server is going to say, what is it you're handing me? That's one of the things that is a header. Mm -hmm. So you would be saying, I'm handing you XML. And then the server says, okay, I know what to do with XML. Or I'm handing you JSON. Okay, I know what to do with JSON. I'll use my JSON code here, Mm -hmm. parse it, and then put it into the database. So FileMaker is lacking the ability with insert from URL to control header values, both on receiving and sending. That's where you have to use a plugin if you're going to be doing full uh, REST implementation. If you're Mm -hmm. doing basic REST implementation, which FileMaker can do, then you can definitely go out and retrieve things because a get is really pretty simple. But post is where you get a little bit more complexity. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to set headers. The base elements plugin, and again, Monkey Bread are the two that I've used. And it's yeah, I think Scriptmaster can do it. I think several of them can. Yeah, anywhere where you can, where you have full control over what you're able to send to the server, both mm-hmm. in the protocol and in the headers, then you can you, you can do it. But FileMaker, if they would just add these things, they would start to play in a much wider world. Because, for example, one of the things that I do is I started using uh, Vimeo. And Vimeo, most services that you're going to use online today, if they don't have an API, that service probably won't exist very long. Because it's the holy grail for all services to get as many developers to use their API to basically spread the use of their app. That's what happened with Twitter. Twitter had hundreds and hundreds of clients because Twitter had a full-on API. Mm -hmm. Then Twitter got too big for its britches and said, okay, we're going to start to cut off access to our API, or they put limits on how many requests you can make. And so they basically started shutting down a lot of the developers that were the people that actually made their service popular. Mm -hmm. So... That's what FileMaker needs. It needs the ability to uh, interact with these APIs. Like my database uh, for Vimeo, I can, I'm starting to put my videos on Vimeo. Vimeo does the storage for me. It does the encoding for me. It does everything. I just need to know what data do I have up there and how do I want to organize it. Well, with FileMaker, I can request from Vimeo and say, give me a list of all of my videos and then walk across all of those videos and then do whatever I want. I don't know. Match right. them up. How many of them, of them are categorized to scripting? How many and, of them uh, are... YouTube doesn't have that? You can do it way better with Vimeo? Uh, no, YouTube has an API too. 
Vimeo mm. allows you to keep your own videos private or locked down. Oh, you, YouTube, YouTube does YouTube does that also. Yeah, you can do private, but you can't do private un uh, unadvertised password or, protected. Say. I thought you could. No, YouTube will always put on advertisements on your videos if they want to. Oh, I see. Advertisements. Yes, yes, yes. Vimeo will not. Vimeo, okay. you're paying for their service, and you can host and play back your videos on whatever domain you want, how you want. And now, now there's these uh, other changes we've seen. YouTube now has a paid service where you can pay. I think it's 15 bucks a month to get YouTube ad-free. Oh, it's huge. The yeah. video world. Hulu, I know. Netflix. Yeah. And Hulu now has a, an ad free one, so seven or eight bucks a month for regular, and then a bunch more for ad free. Yeah. Uh, it's clever. Got to give them that. It's advertisers. We can't get away from it. So, you like rest? You like I do. I really, I, I'm looking for, I don't know, maybe it's a, a solution looking for a problem, but um, I uh, have been really wanting to integrate that in a bunch of my solutions. The, the, best use case that I can think of is think of any uh, mobile solution that you have where that mobile solution only needs a few little pieces of information in order to show the user. It does not need to load the whole full data set from FileMaker server. And if it doesn't need that full data set, if it only needs like three pieces of information, a REST request to go out and just get those three pieces of information and pull them back and display them in a user interface is going to be infinitely faster. Than using than, the same exact thing in FileMaker? Than the full round trip. Because FileMaker is going to connect to FileMaker server, mm-hmm. go through an authentication process, uh, determine what it needs to load, read the whole relationship graph, figure out what layout it's going to, load that layout, walk across all the layout objects in the layout, Mm -hmm. determine which portals have records that need to show, how many of them need to show, and then go 25 records Mm -hmm. past, I mean, right there. Yeah, plus load the index. Yeah. Just my explanation alone. The layout you're in. Totally tells you that a REST request, as opposed to that, is basically, hey, FileMaker server, on layout... Customers, can you give me the ID, the first name, and the last name? That's it. Done. Right. You right. just get those pieces of data back, and they come into your FileMaker Go. And then create a record with that information or update a record or whatever. So now you've got independent you know, data, but, um, which is fine. You, so you, a program at the program level, you now have to deal with the fact that you've got... Yes. Um, Disconnected yeah. data. Yes, you do. You are dealing with a with a stateless versus a stateful environment now, mm-hmm. but in many cases, that's all that's needed in order to make a decision. Um, you know, if it's a customer balance, and you just go want that, cu- you know, is this a high profile customer or you know a low dollar spender? I'm in a pharmaceutical office, and I need to find out. You tap a FileMaker button, makes the request, insert from URL. Yeah, this customer spent five thousand dollars with us. In order to make a decision. For a salesperson, that's going to be infinitely faster than loading up all of that FileMaker data and right. all of the round trips and all of the polling. And Yeah, this is one of the other reasons I like separation model, by the way, because then what you would do, like if you didn't have REST, then the FileMaker Go solution would communicate not with the interface, but with the data. And there are no heavy layouts and there are no heavy scripts. And if you connect to a table that has no records in it, um, and you you don't then you're not lo- you're not loading a big index 
then you just set the script you're running on the server says go to the layout that you really want, look up the records that you want, and copy those back or whatever. It's vastly faster than connecting to a big interface file or to a unified file. Exactly. So that's if that's level, if that's level, what are we on level That'd two? Be, that level will be two? level one. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> Depending on the order, level let's say that's maybe. steroids. <laughs> but if you only need few pieces of information, REST becomes ultra steroids because you're now not dealing with right. application overhead. Just dealing with data. Yeah. And so knowing level, that level one things, would be separation model where you just have the two files on the on the client and the server, and FileMaker Go actually opens up the interface file on the server. Level two would be the interface file would be local on the iPad. Level three would be the interface file is local on the iPad and communicates to this to the data file on the server only when it needs it and then copies the data locally. Level four would be using REST to get that data locally. And so higher numbers are faster. In this, in this example of made-up numbers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So thanks to Nick uh, Orr and his team. Actually, uh, Gavin Stewart, I think, is the person who uh, wrote the whole uh, REST FM. And the fact that they open-sourced it, I think, is a, is a big benefit. I mean, I, they are doing so much to the FileMaker community with uh, Base Elements plugin mm-hmm. and the REST FM. And Base Elements. And Base, yeah. I mean, yeah, Base Elements. If you need to know anything about your FileMaker database, I mean, all of them are. Uh, Vince over with his inspector. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Competitor, the new but they've got a, a very powerful plugin that will do REST as well, uh, mm-hmm. the B-Box plugin. I just happened to use Base Elements more because I was familiar right. with it. But, yeah, it's, it's all out there. And it's awesome that it is. I'm so cool, grateful. man. I just said cool, man. I can't believe that. It took me right back to the 80s and growing up in uh, Southern California. <laughs> oh, gosh. What were all those words we used? Rad. Rad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Well. Dude. Dude, that was so rad. Did you see what those guys did over there? Oh, my God. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, that, that was, was a big uh, that was Huntington Beach, circa 1983. Ay ay ay. Rollerblades. 50 <laughs> minutes, dude. We've been talking for 50 minutes. Yeah, time flies with you, man. Well, I hope everybody got a lot out of this one. It's good for me. Just hearing us. That, I mean, it's good to just know about what you can do, isn't it? Yeah. Plus, you know, for me, the value of this is I get to ask you because you work with such different things than I work with. Um, and it's great to be able to just ask you questions about how these, how, what these things are. People should send questions into us, Matt at FileMakerTalk.com. They totally should. Mm-hmm. I mean, questions about anything. Anything, even non-FileMaker topics. You want advice on your marriage? We'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt will help you. I won't. Well, we'll take those FileMaker questions instead. <laughs> All Good right, to talk buddy. to you, man. Thanks. All right. See you later. All right. Bye.